But this is from the original television series of Superman from 1953. But I don't know if you noticed something in that little clip. When the bad guys shot at Superman, he didn't flinch. As the bullets just bounced off his chest, he had no thought of retreat. But when the bad, bad guy ran out of bullets, did you see what he did? He threw the gun at Superman. And what did Superman, the man of steel, do? He ducked. He ducked. The man of steel stood defiantly fearless in the face of a hail of bullets. But he ducked in case he was hit by an empty gun. And I think that's a bit like us. If we have put our faith in Jesus, then we know that we are perfectly loved. And accepted by the all-powerful, all-knowing and all-present God. We have been adopted as his children. And he has promised that no one can snatch us out of his hand. And that he will be with us forever until he takes us home. God has given us every reason to stand and fearlessly face any and every situation in our lives. And yet... We often panic in the middle of problems. We often get discouraged at disappointments. We fret over the future. And sometimes when we have an opportunity to speak up for Jesus, we often hesitate and get afraid of what the other person might say. Like Superman, we often duck when we're faced with the challenges of life. The early church wasn't like that. Now, they weren't men of steel, untouched by pain or suffering, or even fear. But they did have unbelievable courage to stand in the face of incredible opposition. And we're going to look at this in the incident that happened immediately after the healing of a beggar that we looked at last week. Remember that this man was, was sitting by the gate that was leading into the temple and Peter and John came up to, the, to him. The man asked for money and Peter and John said, well, we don't have any money, but we do, what we do have we can give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man did. For the first time in his life, he walked on his feet after 40 years of disability and begging. And this man's life was transformed. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. So Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. They Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name 
did you do this? I think this must have been a, a frightening experience for the disciples. Up to very recently, this was something that they had dreaded. Maybe you remember on the evening of, the, of Resurrection Sunday, the disciples were together and they had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They'd been hiding, fearing that the temple guards would burst through the door and arrest them. And now this fear for Peter and John had become a reality when they were seized in the temple. And this arrest was led, was led by the captain of the guard, who was the, the chief of the temple police. He was actually, this, in rank, he was second only to the high priest. So this was a guy with a lot of authority and a lot of power coming to arrest Peter and John. And after Peter and John were arrested, Luke records that because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. This was because it was actually illegal to put anyone in trial after the time of the evening sacrifice. Maybe you remember that this is one of the laws that the Sanhedrin broke when they arrested and tried Jesus in the middle of the night. And found him guilty and condemned him to death. But this meant that Peter and John had all night to sit in this, this jail and to consider and to worry about what was going to happen to them. In the dark, in that uncomfortable and unfamiliar surrounding, it would just be natural for their minds to be filled with anxious fear. Remember guys, Peter and John were just people like us. They, just, they felt pain and, and struggle just like we do. They weren't like car, car characters on a TV program like Superman. Then after their first night in jail, they had Peter and John brought before them. Years ago, I went with a friend uh, down to the court in Wexford. Now, I hadn't done anything wrong and I wasn't on trial. But I just remember sitting there and feeling really pretty intimidated by the judge and by the authority of that court. I was very careful not to say anything out of place because I didn't want to get into trouble. How much more intimidating it must have been for Peter and John. The Sanhedrin wasn't just one judge. There were 71 of them who were there. So the disciples were hopelessly outnumbered. By the most powerful men of the nation. And this was the court where Jesus had been falsely accused. And despite all of the evidence to the contrary, he had been found guilty. So coming into that courtroom, into that, that, that Sanhedrin, Peter and John would have had no confidence that this court would be just or fair in their dealings with them. And then most of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. They were the ruling classes of, of wealthy aristocrats in that, in that society. They were also allies of the Roman authorities. And worked to maintain the status quo. And also, they rejected the whole doctrine of, of a physical resurrection. They were not expecting any kind of resurrection. They thought death was the end. So they, they, were, they fiercely were against the disciples. 
not just because the disciples, as in their eyes, were disturbing the peace by challenging that status quo, but also because the disciples were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, which in their eyes was heresy. And then Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas. Both of these men were at the forefront of Jesus' trial and conviction. So this must have brought back memories, especially for Peter, who had been there that night. Because he'd followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But when he was confronted, his courage had deserted him. And three times he had denied even knowing Jesus. I don't know the man. He said. So here were Peter and John. Arrested. Jailed. Now standing before these powerful, prejudiced and unscrupulous men. Who were demanding to know by what power or what name did you do this. So what would Peter and John do? How would they respond to this terrifying, intimidating situation? Well, let's look on. Verse 8, please, of Acts 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men, by which we must be saved. In that threatening and intimidating and daunting situation, Peter courageously declared the power of Jesus. It's by Jesus of Nazareth that this man is stand before you healed. As he did before, Peter took none of the credit of this healing. He didn't try and share the limelight with Jesus. Instead, he used this amazing miracle of this man's healing to point people to the life-changing power of Jesus. But amazingly, that wasn't all that Peter said here. In the book of Corinthians, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote that the message of the cross, or the message of Jesus Christ crucified, is a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jewish people struggle to come to terms with the idea of their Messiah dying in agony and shame on a cross under God's curse. For them, that idea just didn't compute, it didn't make sense. Why would God's anointed one suffer like that? How could God's anointed one be treated like that? How could God's anointed one die like that? Peter also used to think like that. 
When Jesus taught his disciples about the necessity of going to the cross, before it happened, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. No, Jesus, this will never happen to you. This is not God's plan for you. For Peter, at that time, the cross didn't make sense. But now, with no hesitation, Peter confidently proclaimed the truth that the Jesus who healed this man was the Jesus who was crucified. And despite the fact that the Sanhedrin were made up of Sadducees who didn't believe in resurrection in any sense of the word, Peter also proclaimed that Jesus was the one who God raised from the dead. I think these days, the idea of the Son of God dying and rising again is still rejected by many as ridiculous, laughable, or even offensive. And even in some churches, the truth about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is being minimised, or being sidelined, or being reinterpreted in a way that would be more acceptable in today's mind. But Paul declared, That the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Even though it is foolishness in the minds of many, we need to be like Peter and John here. And stand and proclaim the truth that Jesus has the power to change lives because... Of his sacrificial death. And because of his glorious resurrection. It is the very heart. Of our faith. But maybe you notice that Peter went even further here. He didn't just tell the Sanhedrin that Jesus had been crucified. He said Jesus is the one whom you. Crucified. Peter here was turning the situation completely on its head. Because he was putting them on trial. He put put his accusers in the dock and he found them guilty of their condemnation of Jesus. And the evidence to convict him of this was the resurrection of Jesus and proved by his power to heal this crippled man from birth. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. This is a quotation uh, from, from Psalm 118. And it says that the one that they killed in agony and shame is the one that God raised from the dead and exalted to the highest place and is now, God is now building his kingdom based on him. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Peter to say those words? You crucified? It takes courage to point the finger and point out the guilty. Especially if they are in a position of power and authority. 
Or especially if it's in our culture where it's completely unacceptable in many people's eyes to say that another person's belief or behaviour is wrong. But it's crucial that we don't duck out of this responsibility. Today we are called to stand up and declare God's judgment on people. We need to be willing to say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how uncomfortable it is, we need to help people to see, to understand that we all are guilty before God. That Jesus died because of our sin. That he suffered because of our rebellion against him. That's so important that people can see themselves as sinners. Because if people don't understand their guilt, how can they see their need of a saviour? And that's what Peter went on to speak about. Peter didn't get stuck on that message of condemnation, pointing the finger and pointing out guilt. He came, he knew that he'd been called to share a message of salvation. So he declared these amazing words in Acts 4 and 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When you think of it, this is an amazing message of compassion. Peter was sharing the message of forgiveness, of healing of hearts, of restoration of relationship with God. He was sharing this message with the Sanhedrin, with these men who had falsely accused and condemned his Lord. And yet Peter knew that God's grace was available to them too. These were not nice men. They had condemned the only truly innocent man. And yet salvation was offered to them. But this statement is also an amazing statement of courage. Peter was willing to tell these deeply religious these, these good living guys. Not just that salvation is found in Jesus. But that salvation is only found in Jesus. That he is the only way for us to be saved. I don't know about you, but I think that takes courage today to say that. The politically correct thing to say is that all beliefs are equally valid and true. And in the end, all roads lead to God. So it really doesn't matter what you believe because everybody gets to God in the end. To make an exclusive claim of truth is seen as arrogant and offensive. And yet Jesus declared that truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through 
me. Jesus is unique in his person. He alone is the Son of God. He he is unique in his revelation. He alone brought the true revelation of who God is. And he is alone in his atoning sacrifice for our sins. He alone died for our sins. So he is the only way to salvation. So if this is true, then standing and declaring that, the saving power of Jesus as being the only one who can save us, isn't only the loving thing to do. It's absolutely essential if people are going to understand how important it is for them to put faith in Jesus. If Jesus was speaking the truth here, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me, then we must share that message with those around us. Because they are not going to be saved otherwise. Because there's no other way. Of course, not everyone was was going to accept that. And the men in the Sanhedrin certainly didn't. Look at verse 13, please. Acts 4 again. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. The authorities couldn't disprove the evidence in front of them. This man's life had been visibly and completely changed. And of course they couldn't even refute Peter's declaration that Jesus had had risen from the dead because they couldn't point to Jesus' tomb and his body lying there. And so in verse 18 it says this, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now this wasn't just a suggestion. This was a direct command from those who had the power and authority to arrest, to imprison, to punish or even to kill if they didn't comply. But Peter and John weren't willing to be silenced by these men. They were willing not only to speak up about Jesus. They were willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Look at what they said, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Yes, Peter and John, as citizens of that nation, wanted to live in keeping with the laws of that land. They wanted to honour and to submit to their leaders. But when their commands went against God's commands, their decision was clear. They were committed to follow God no matter what the cost. 
They were not going to be silenced. People could accuse them, attack them, even take their lives, but they were not going to stop telling everyone they could about Jesus. That's the courage that we need today. With Paul, we need to stand and declare that no matter what, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That is what we're called to, folks. That's what we need to be committed to. But how? How can we get that courage? How can we get the kind of courage that enables us to stand in the most difficult or daunting situations and declare with confidence that Jesus is the Saviour? Well, how did Peter and John overcome that experience without ducking? Well, when the Sanhedrin listened to them, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they were astonished. They were astonished because they hadn't been trained in the rabbinical schools. These guys weren't graduates from university. These guys weren't people who had all the training behind them and who were professional preachers in their eyes. To them, Peter and John were just ordinary, everyday blokes. So how could they stand and so clearly and so courageously declare the truth of the gospel? Although they hadn't been to seminary, these men had been with Jesus. For three years they'd spent time with Jesus. They'd listened to him, they'd watched him. They'd allowed him to to pour his love and his grace into their lives. And that had changed them. Spending time with Jesus had changed these guys. And then they'd also met up with him after he'd risen from the dead. So when Peter and John spoke about the resurrection, they weren't talking about some kind of theoretical idea. They were sharing what they'd experienced. In verse 20 they say, For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They'd seen the empty tomb. They'd met the risen Lord. They'd seen his nail marks in his hands and his feet. They knew that there was nothing that those authorities could do to them that Jesus had not already conquered and defeated. Death to them wasn't something to be feared because they knew that Jesus had already conquered death. But they also knew that they weren't alone in that courtroom. At Pentecost, God had come to live in them by his Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Peter was again filled with the Holy Spirit. Experiencing in a fresh way the presence and the power of God. And that is exactly what Jesus had promised. Back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, 20, Jesus said this. When they arrest you, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is how we can get the courage 
to take our stand in this difficult culture. We can stand strong and courageously if we've spent time with Jesus and we are allowing him to change our lives. That time, daily spending time with him is so important for each one of us. We can stand courageously and strong if we understand the reality and the impact of his resurrection. That means that there is nothing and there is no one who can ever separate us from his love. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And we can stand strong and courageous if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Allowing him to influence us and impact our lives and empower and equip us for the work that he's given to us. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The Sanhedrin couldn't silence Peter and John. So with After further threats, they let them go. But down through the years, they and others would continue their opposition to them. They would accuse them, attack them, and even kill members of that community. But again and again, these believers would stand courageously, refusing to duck, refusing to be silenced. And my prayer is that in our generation, whatever opposition we face, whether it's from authorities or whether it's just from friends or family or work colleagues or whoever it is, whether it's rejection or ridicule, criticism, condemnation, or even direct attack, that we will be willing to stand and declare the message of the gospel. That salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved.